0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at VineyardCampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. That seemed like a quick 60 seconds. I don't know, was that like 40 seconds? I don't know. Hey, good morning everybody. Hope you're okay. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. And uh, happy Sunday. Welcome to the Vineyard. We're going to continue a series here that we started last week. And we're going to roll on this for a few weeks. And it's a series here we're calling uh, If You're Thirsty. And the point of this series is we're going to essentially be exploring uh, spiritual hunger, thirst, and really spiritual desire. And the reason we're doing that is because human beings are longing creatures. That's, that's what we are. That'd be one great way of understanding what a human is. We're, we're creatures with longings and aches and desires of all kinds. And one of the things that we sort of talked about last week was that all of our longings and all of our desire, it's really an echo of our longing for God. So whatever longing you have in your life, whether it's for your next meal, uh, your next drink, uh, to be married, to find a spouse, to have a career change, uh, to do something great in the world, like that foundational thing that's inside of every human heart, to do something great, that's actually an echo and it's actually actually a reverberation of your desire to be near the great one. It's an echo for God. And that's part of what we're doing in this series, is we're we're looking at the ways in which those deep desires in our heart are reflections of how we really need God. And one of the things we said last last week was, uh, in the same way a little baby needs its mother, you know, little tiny babies get born. Here at the vineyard, uh, there's new babies in the house, uh, brand new ones right here, and there's a fairly new one over here, and, and in a few months there'll be new ones that'll just Pop out! That's what happens here at the Vineyard. Uh, if you're new here at the Vineyard and you don't know this, I just want you, these black chairs are dangerous. I hope you want children because it'll probably happen. But one of the things we said last week is, when a baby's born, it, it just needs its mother. It needs its mother. It needs its mother for its very life. And how many of you know that you actually never outgrow that? You never outgrow that foundational hunger and desire. And in the same way, we never outgrow our need for God. You know, it's not like, well, you get saved, whatever that is, and then you come up and then we dunk you in our little. Our little trough, like we did the kids. Did y'all like the pictures that we put up this week? They were so. Uh, the one of Jeremy and, and Lincoln kind of got me. <laughs> it was so good. But you never outgrow it. Like you, you get saved, you get baptized, you come into some kind of a relationship with God, and in the same way that a little baby grows up to be an adolescent who's still hungry and thirsty, you know, we come into a relationship with God, and we're we're still needy people. And one of the things we talked about last week is if I'm not hungry. If I'm not hungry for God, if something isn't fairly awake in my heart and in my life for God, well, those are serious things. And we explored some of the reasons why maybe you wouldn't be hungry. We talked about cultural meals or maybe I'm distracted. And finally, we talked about the fact that sometimes when you're not hungry, it's a sign you're sick. You know. And if you didn't listen to that message, I'd encourage you to do so. But what we're going to do this week is I want to talk to you about having an appetite for prayer. And here's why, because one of the one of the natural conclusions of spiritual desire is always is always prayer. You know, when you get when you get a heart for God in a new way, or when your appetite for God uh, emerges, the thing that almost always emerges with that appetite is is an impulse to pray. Like one of the ways you know that you have a spiritual hunger and thirst that's alive and active and healthy in your life is that. You're feeling the impulse to pray. When we think about having a hunger or thirst for God, that's usually where it goes. Uh, David says this in Psalm 42, the first two verses. David says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for the living God. Where can I go to stand before him? And how many of you know that David is writing down what? His prayers. So look at, the, look at the nature of this prayer. David's saying, God, I long for you like a deer that's been running, like a deer that's just been running through the woods longs for water. And even uses the language of thirst here, doesn't he? He says, I thirst for the living God. Where can I go to be in his presence? And I want you to see here not just this connection between David's heart for God and the language of thirst, but I, I want you to see that this is a prayer that gets preserved for us. So there's something about hunger and thirst. You'll know it's real in your life when the impulse to pray begins to emerge. This isn't the only psalm. David says as well in Psalm 27, verse four, he says, one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing that I seek most, this is one of my life verses, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. David says, you know, I'm the guy who has everything. I accidentally cussed in the first service last week, <laughs> and I had to ask for forgiveness. But one of the one of the things about David is is David had everything, right? And what is the da- what is the guy who has everything? What does he pray for? He prays that he could be near to God. You know, this is this is a sign of hunger and thirst, and it shows up as prayer. That's how we know that something is alive in our hearts, the impulse to pray. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read several verses that are about prayer from Luke 11 this morning, and I want to talk to you about having an appetite for prayer. So Reese, we're going to look at about 10 verses here, and I want you to understand that everything we're going to read this morning in this little section, this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. So it goes like this. Once Jesus was in a certain place, could have been anywhere. And as Jesus finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples? And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy and may your kingdom come soon and give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. This is actually really important. This story goes with that little Lord's Prayer thing. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for the friendship's sake, if if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. This is actually very important. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. Everybody who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's our text this morning. I want to talk about prayer. And I want to start by saying that prayer is the language of desire. That's how you know that something is alive in your life is you have this desire to pray because prayer is always the language of desire. And when our spiritual hungers and thirsts are awakened, uh, prayer will always be the sign. We see it in David. We read those verses. But we also see it in the disciples this morning. Uh, Reese, if you can put verse 1 back up. Uh, you, see, you see the disciples coming to Jesus and they say to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? That's something, that's something for us to pay attention to. We see it in David. We see it in the disciples. And, and here's basically what's happening at this point. The disciples are following Jesus. They come to him. They say, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And if you'll, if you'll allow me to maybe archetype this passage for a moment, uh, it goes something like this. In the text, what you have is the disciples are following Jesus. And this is... This is something that happened in reality, but it's also archetypal for our own life. So the disciples at one point were, were fishermen, or maybe they were tax collectors. And Jesus comes along and he says to the fishermen, well, why don't you put down your nets and follow me? And uh, they, begin, they begin to follow him. They begin to let go of an old life and they begin to take up a new life. And the reason they do that is because who Jesus is awakens a hunger in their heart. And they're like, well, I don't know who you are, but, but whatever you are doing and whatever you're about, it's better than what I've been doing. And so they let go and they begin to follow Jesus. And then he goes to Matthew and he says, well, why don't you stand up from that table and follow me? And Matthew literally just leaves the table and the money and everything. And he begins to follow Jesus. And so archetypally, like, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to, it means to have your, your hungers and your desires awakened by Jesus to the point that you're willing to like, let go of things to be able to lay hold of a new thing. And imagine you've been walking with Jesus for a good minute, and maybe it's been a year at this point, and then you say to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Well, I just want to say right up front this morning that part of the disciples' journey is, is, is letting go of things so we can lay hold of new things. But then at a certain point, we come to Jesus and we say, would you teach me to pray? Like prayer is always one of these things get, that gets awakened in a disciple's heart when we're hungry and thirsty for God. And I would like to share maybe with us three things that Jesus would want to teach us in prayer this morning from this passage. Three things that Jesus would want to teach us in prayer. Uh, The first thing that Jesus would want to teach us in prayer uh, is this. It's that the burden of prayer is something we carry together. This is about who we pray to, but it's also about who we pray with. The burden of prayer is something we carry together. Um, Jesus responds to his disciples when they ask him, teach us how to pray. And he says, here's how you should pray. You should pray like this. And what are the first words of that prayer? Our Father. If you have your Bible out this morning, you should actually underline that and maybe highlight it. Uh, the burden of prayer is something we carry together. Uh, when we become awakened to prayer, we're, we're being awakened uh, not to my God, but we're being awakened to our God. The very foundational prayer, the first words of the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples then and now to pray is our father, uh, not my father. Spiritual hunger and thirst wakens us to prayer. And then Jesus intends to wake us not only uh, to to God, but to one another. This is how it works. And by the way, this flies in the face of Western individualism uh, because we've been conditioned to experience and expect that the ultimate good is the individual. Like if you're an American, uh, part of your internal wiring is that the most important thing is the individual. And if you begin to pray the prayer that Jesus gives his disciples to pray, it'll begin to undo all of that. Uh, because the American version says "my father," but that's not that's not the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray, it's it's our father. People in our current culture tend to value my truth. How many of you have seen either on social media or in conversations, or maybe on TV, someone say, "Well, that's what your truth," but this is my truth. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's a very that's a very Western postmodern American idea, and and we're living really in the zenith of that, and if you become awakened to prayer, if your spiritual hungers and thirsts get awakened, the first thing that Jesus begins to do is he begins to unwind that, and he begins to unwind it with the words, my father, our father. Um, There's no bigger cultural touchstone for baby boomer men than the Lone Ranger. I had a friend who was doing a little cultural analysis on Twitter about that this week. Like, if you want to know what has shaped baby boomer men and their imagination, one of the main stories is the Lone Ranger. Yeah, and it's deeply, deeply, like, inside of us, you know? And, and, and not only that, uh, but the philosopher Charles Taylor surmises that one feature of the modern secular age is the privatization of your faith. The modern secular age wants you to believe whatever you want to believe, but keep it to yourself. Like this, the goal of the secular age is not to take faith away from you. It's the privatization of your faith. You can believe whatever you want about Jesus. Just keep it to yourself or make it yours. And yet our thirsty souls awaken to prayer. And when we come to Jesus, he begins to teach us with these words, Words that we've been praying here for months. And by the way, we've been doing this on purpose. We land worship every single week or nearly every single week with the Lord's Prayer. We do it on purpose here at the Vineyard because we want to be formed into Jesus' disciples. And so for months and months and months here at the Vineyard, we've been praying our Father. We've been praying our, not my Father, our Father, our Father father. And this means at least a couple things. Uh, Number one, it means God is not my personal possession. You know, Uh, I don't get to make God up. Uh, I don't get to make Christianity up. Uh, No one gets to make it up. You just get to receive it. Uh, No one gets to make this stuff up. God is not simply my God. He's not my possession. Uh, I I don't get to make him up. And, And aren't you glad uh, but the second thing this means is that the burden of prayer is something that we carry together. And perhaps our inclination to pray should bring us into communion with others as well, uh, specifically in the, pr- in the place of prayer. Uh, how many of you have ever ha- struggled to have a, a, a personal prayer life? Anybody ever struggled in that? I'm convinced that one of the reasons we struggle to have a personal prayer life is because it's too personal. Like, the, I, I'm, like I'm very, very convinced that the burden of prayer is not mine to carry, it's ours to carry. How many of you have ever prayed with three or four people and found that there's just a lot more joy in it? Even for, why? But I, that's the way it works. It's, we've, we've literally grown up with so much Western individualism sown into the soil of our hearts that we're, that, we're, that we're eating a harvest that we were never intended to receive, like one of the reasons that we struggle with prayer is that we've just carried too much of it alone in our little prayer closets. I, I'm convinced like you really want to have a prayer life that's vibrant, get together with like two friends or three friends, and watch how the burden of prayer becomes light. Uh, and by the way, it's the same thing for scripture reading. Uh, one of the best practices that you can instill in your life is begin to pray and to read the Bible with a friend or two. Uh, just this week I had Some very precious people show up to my office because they had questions about the Bible. It was really fun, and it was three of them, and we got together, and over the course of about an hour, we began to read the scripture, and the Lord was with us, and there was illumination in the room, and there was illumination in the room, and here's what's wonderful about it. I didn't prep. I didn't prep anything. And the illumination wasn't primarily coming from me. It was coming from the very people who said they had questions. Why? Because the burden of prayer and life with God is, it's, it's our Father. It's, it's ours together. My spiritual hunger and thirst will bring me not only to God, but to my neighbors. That's what Jesus shows us. And the other thing he shows us is this, that more individualism isn't going to satisfy my thirst. More living into my own private dreams isn't going to satisfy my heart. More living for myself isn't going to lead to a vibrant and deep life. It's our Father. Uh, Number two, things that Jesus wants to teach us about prayer. Number two, bread for a friend. I actually think this is huge. Jesus is showing us who to pray for. So the disciples say, Jesus, would you show us how to pray? And he's like, well, here's how you should pray. And then he tells this story. I just want to quickly retell you the story. Because when you read it the first time, it can be a little confusing. So we'll just role play this out for a second. Jesus says, there's this guy. And uh, the guy is Justin. Everybody look at Justin. He's got a nice shirt on this morning. And Justin goes to his friend's house, uh, Richard who also has a nice shirt on and he knocks on the door and Justin says to Richard, I've got another friend who has come from out of town. You need to get Richard. You need to give me some bread. I don't have any bread for this guy. And Richard's like, I love you, Baba, but I'm not getting up. My kids and I are already in bed. Go away. But Jesus says, because Justin is so shameless He won't quit knocking. And Richard doesn't get up for friendship, but he gets up to make Bubba quit knocking. And and Jesus says that Richard gives Justin everything that he needs for his first friend. Does that make sense? Like, that's the whole story. Uh, By the way, this is Jesus' primary teaching on prayer. So the, the primary prayer that Jesus gives us begins with our father, not my father, our Father. And then the primary teaching that Jesus gives us about prayer is who to pray for, not just who to pray to, who to pray for. How many of you have read these scriptures and you think that when Jesus talks about ask, seek, and knock, he means for your life? I've read this scripture about ask, seek, and knock my whole life thinking That Jesus was mostly wanting me to ask, seek, and knock and be persistent in prayer for my life. That's literally not what he is teaching. He is not teaching that. He is saying the ask, seek, and knock and the shameless persistence is me on behalf of my friends. So Jesus is teaching us who to pray to, but he's also teaching us who to pray for. Look around the room. This is, this, is who, this is who we're to pray for. Like when we awaken to a hunger and a thirst for God, we'll awaken to prayer. And when we awaken to prayer, we awaken to our neighbors. And when we awaken to our neighbors, we're awakening to pray for them. Like primarily. So many things here. Jesus places hospitality and bread at the center of his teaching because there's something about prayer that's deeply connected to our heart appetites. By the way, did you notice that in the story that Jesus teaches this morning that it's a story about food? Right? Yeah it's a it's a story about appetites. And, and I just want to say one more thing about this little story that Jesus teaches. In the, in the first century Near Eastern culture, hospitality wasn't just a high value in the culture. It was required. So you can imagine a culture where there is no Kroger and where there is no Hilton and there is no urgent care that when you're traveling, uh, and by the way, traveling would have been dangerous. You would have been exposed to not only the elements, but the potential for roadside robbers, you know? So imagine traveling with your little family and imagine you show up to a town because you can't get to where you're going. Maybe it's a couple days journey and everything's on foot, and, you know, you're just, you're vulnerable, right? And so when, when you grow up in cultures like this, the value for hospitality exceeds ours so much, you know? It, 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 like if somebody comes and knocks on your door in the middle, even to this day, Middle Eastern hospitality is a thing that we can hardly even comprehend. Like I, I promise you today, if you were drop, dropped off in, In in Jordan or some Middle Eastern country, uh, you would be received in ways you have no idea, and and you'd be like, I don't speak their language, and we have different cultures, and you'd be because it's just so ingrained in the culture, and so this is a little bit hard for us to get. And Jesus is saying like, this is the essence of prayer. Like, there's something about prayer that is about hospitality for others, and it's about and it's actually about. I hope you noticed in the story that when Justin goes to Richard's house for bread, like the reason Justin is going to Richard's house for bread is because he doesn't have any, right? And then Richard eventually gives him everything he needs, and Justin takes it back to his friend who also doesn't have anything. And when he goes home, who has bread? Justin and the friend. So Jesus is telling us that if we will attune our hungers and thirsts away from our own immediate needs, if we will begin to open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes to our neighbors and the needs of others, and if we will engage shamelessly and persistently in prayer for the needs of others, not only will we have bread for them, but it's bread for us. Yeah, Jesus teaches us who to pray for. Look around. I want to read a quote from John Calvin. Reese, I think it's the last slide I made. I can't believe I'm reading a quote from John Calvin. (laughs) I literally can't believe this. The Lord is kind. Look at this. This is what Calvin says. He says, our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as acutely as our own. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. Yeah. That's 500 years old. Still true. Number three this morning, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Shameless persistence. Reese, can we put up verse eight? Look at the note in verse eight. He will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Prayer awakens us to our Father. Prayer awakens us to the need of others. But it also awakens us to the need for shameless persistence. Uh, How many of you have ever been in a real jam in your life and the only way out was for you to power up and be a little shameless? (laughs) Anybody ever had car trouble in a town that wasn't Campbellsville? And you're like... I don't know what I'm going to do right now, you know? And then what you, you have to like power up and you just go, I'm just going to go into this gas station and ask somebody to help me. Anybody ever had to do that? And you're like, you're just, you feel like you're breaking all these cultural norms. You're like, you can just, there's like some guy who's just trying to take his kids on vacation. And you're like, I, can you, I, this is annoying. I know you don't want to do this, but do you have jumper cables? Like, I'm sorry that I'm that guy. Or, or you know, maybe maybe you've, you know, had your car, like, blow a tire on the middle of I-65 and, and you're out there just, like, waving for any kind person. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you get desperate enough, it, it forces you into a place of needing to get bold. I was thinking about this this week, um, One of the places I've traveled to the most in my life is Peru. I've probably been, I don't know, 15 times, uh, maybe more. And uh, Lima is just this tremendous city in the middle of Peru. It's like 11 million people. It's bigger than New York City. And one of the things that you'll encounter over and over again in the streets of Lima is shameless persistence. I was thinking this this week about the street children in Lima, Peru. Uh, They have no problem They have no problem coming up to you and asking for whatever it is they need. Like it's, it's not even, it's not, it's not even, it's, it's nothing. It's just the way this, it's what you would do, you know? And it's, it's overwhelming when you first go, you're like, I can't believe, I just can't believe it. And the reason they have no problem asking you for whatever it is they need is because their need is so great. Like shame's just out the window, right? Like we just, it's not even a thing. Street children will boldly ask you for souls. Souls are Peruvian money. Yeah, uh, and they'll always try to give you a little piece of candy. It's like I don't need the candy, man. Here's some dollars. One of the things we used to do when we went to Peru all the time is we would just we would just carry as many twenty dollar bills in our pocket as we could because you just want to hand them out. It's just like the most fun thing ever. I was also thinking about this this week. Um, I think it was last. Last winter, Seth got his car stuck on the bluff by our house in a snowstorm uh maybe maybe you know where Heather and I live. We live out on Rocheville road, and before you get to our house there's a there's a really big bluff it's it's a couple hundred feet above the green river, and there's this- you know like roller coaster type hills Woo! and then it comes up and it's and it's everything about it is blind like on a perfect sunny day, it's a dangerous road, right? And I, I'm in bed and I am asleep and my phone starts buzzing and it's, it's midnight and it is snowing sideways outside. And it's Seth and Seth is, you know, uh, hey, dad, can you, can you help me? And I'm like, where are you at? And what do you need help with? He's like, dad, my car's stuck on the bluff. You know, it's too much snow or whatever. And I went out and of course, his car is literally in the most dangerous spot it could possibly be in. And it's not just that it's snowing, but it's that weird, that weird slushy snow that you can't even stand up on the ground. You just you know, want to fall down. Yeah. I helped him out. I helped him out. That's what Jesus says we do. We just boldly wake up at midnight and we come to him and, on behalf of others. Real need, real hunger, and real thirst awakens shameless persistence. And Jesus, Jesus says, This is the way. This is like how you pray. You just you go you go boldly. And it's not just shameless persistence for our own needs, but it's it's for others. We just we ask and we we keep on asking, we knock and we keep on knocking, we seek and we keep on seeking. And here's what I know about our church right now, and this takes zero prophetic gifting, like none, like just take prophecy and set it aside for a moment. Uh, I, I know that in our church right now, that there are people who are here and people who will be coming to second service and even people who will sleep in this morning and not make it, who have real needs, like actual needs. And I know that the that the thing that Jesus wants to do is he wants to wake up our thirst, not only for him, but in so doing, he wants us to wake up so we can see our neighbors and begin to shamelessly knock on the door of heaven for the people who are here. Not just for me, but for the people who are here. Uh, Here's what I know about our church right now. Uh, There are people at our church who have gotten diagnoses that they never imagined that they would get. Uh, They're here, you know, and there are people uh, at our church right now who are in a financial bind and it's not because they did anything dumb. It's because life is complicated and everybody's money got exploded in the last three years. Like if you have any dollars right now, you know, like you just did great. And I know that there are people here and in second service whose kids have gone bananas and I know that there are people here who are feeling the challenge of like a new career or another degree. Just, just the way that when you want to take steps forward, your life gets stretched really, really thin. Uh, all of that is here. And Jesus would say, I, I want to wake you up not only to your need for me, but I want to wake you up to the needs of others, and, and I want you to shamelessly knock on the door of heaven for these other people. So here, here's what I want to do this morning. If you're on the worship band, I want you to come on up. And today, we're going to spend just a moment knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> if, you're like, if you're like 60 or 65, I'm here for you this morning. Lone Ranger, Bob Dylan, I'm here for you, um, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pray for our friends this morning. If That'd be all right. Uh, this is what I would love for you to do if you're in a black chair. Why don't you stand up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.